And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. First off, I apologize for not posting as many shows as I normally do. Between work and the baby, it's just really challenging. And uh, speaking of the baby, I, you know, I, he's a cute kid. And you know how I know he's cute? It's because people will just walk up to him and give him things. They'll give him cookies. They'll give him Pokemon cards. They're, the girls, like, it doesn't matter what it is they are, they're always waving at him. And I am ex- living vicariously through him because I never experienced that when I was a kid. I never had people walk up to me and say, oh, they're cute, and give me cookies. No, I didn't get cookies. He's got cookies. So I'm living vicariously through a, a two-year-old who, by the way, uh, he is roasting me. He, he makes fun of me. In baby language. My my wife says he is absolutely making fun of you. So we got that going on. But taking the, the program in a totally different direction. Our featured guest tonight is a critical thinker. Very renowned. Love his thought process. Actually says that the elites have a forecast of uh, bad things that will you know manifest for them. They're not going to uh, win the day. And that's something concurrent with Martin Armstrong, our previously featured show. We discussed some of Martin's ideals on this one, but he's really going to share and explain how things are playing out. I really do think that this individual um, is fantastic at what he does, and he lays a clear case for, again, another consecutive show dealing with hope. Let us begin. It is a great honor to welcome to our show for the very first time, Mr. Robert Gore. He's an author, several books, CEO of the company. He's also a pretty prolific writer, especially on websites like Zero Hedge and LewRockwell.com. Learn more about Robert by going to his website at StraightLineLogic.com. Mr. Gore, welcome to our show. Uh, good to be here. Thank you. So I've been following your work on Lou Rockwell and Zero Hedge for some time. And you wrote these two really powerful articles. I found them really fascinating called This Is Your Last Chance, Part 1 and Part 2. And to give everyone a quick gist about it, Everyone's looking at the darkness right now. We've covered it. And it seems that the totalitarian leaders and fascists, they're all going to succeed and they're going to walk over humanity. Yet you offer a very distinctive argument saying, no, it's not going to happen. Robert, can you please uh, present that glimmering light of hope that people are desperately uh, wanting to hear and why these people are not going to succeed? Well, you can almost boil it down to three words. Governments don't produce. And what they're proposing is to replace a whole bunch of governments that don't currently produce anything. In fact, they're deep, deep, deep in the hole with one big uh, globalist type government, which uh, what I say in the articles is not going to be much different than the governments they replace. They still cannot produce. And I know I just 
just today I read two or three articles. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to do this, that, and the other thing. It's going to supply us with everything. We're not going to need to work. Uh, we're going to all get a universal basic income. We're going to love. We're going to uh, have nothing and be happy with it. And a, I don't think artificial intelligence uh, is anywhere close to being able to do that. Uh, B, I think turning people into a bunch of uh, non-productive feeders is entirely antithetical to human nature. Uh, and uh, so I, I, turning us all into, you know, either feeders or slaves, uh, neither one of them works. And I, I put a quote in there from uh, de Tocqueville uh, about slavery and the economics and Basically, it makes no sense. So, yeah, they can propose, but I think a lot of different factors are going to dispose. When I read that, your article, I see a lot of interesting parallels to uh, the gentleman we had on our show talking about why socialism always fails. And he was, was really saying that there's no incentive. Like, what is the point of producing if the state's going to take everything away? And it seems that's always the case. But right now, we have a society where they call this thing the great resignation. All these people are not working and make it seem like it's fantastic. Meanwhile, we have all these supply chain interruptions and all these inequalities going down. I, it, it seems like for the time being, it's working, theoretically speaking, in the sense that, okay, well, I guess you can still get some goods for right now. How much longer can this current pace continue before we see a precipitous collapse where everyone is affected dramatically? Um. That's an interesting question. I think collapse has actually been going on for a long time. And I date it, uh, I date a big inflection point back to 1971 when we got rid of the last vestiges of honest money, uh, gold and silver, and, or excuse me, gold and uh, the dollar that was convertible into gold for at least foreign central banks. And you replace you basically made debt the foundation of your economy and ever increasing debt is the engine that's been driving what's kind of laughably referred to as economic growth and if your debt is growing each year more than your production then you're farther in the hole each year and that's what we've been doing and it shows up in the uh, economy uh, you look at real incomes and there's been very little change for the average American and actually for people across the globe uh, since the turn of the century. So you, what you're basically asking, and I see a series of inflection points, the 2008 financial uh, crisis was definitely another one, but you're asking, when do we get the big inflection point where yeah. everybody... The Peter Schiff uh -huh. question. Yeah, everyone. Because here's the thing, too. When it comes to that big point, we've been, I don't know, looking at that since 2009. And I'll tell you a couple of people who's, who've worked, we've followed and people we've talked with. Of course, there's Peter Schiff who's been predicting the collapse. And you've got Gerald Salenti, founder of the Trends Research Institute. He's been talking about the market collapse. And 
the only other part, and of course, Dr. Ron Paul's been talking about this, saying at some point these governments are going to default and there's going to be this economic collapse and dollars going to be worth nothing and it's going to have, there's going to be hyperinflation. That's even aligned to Jeff Berwick from Dollar Vigilante. However, the person I always come back to is Martin Armstrong from Armstrong Economics, and he keeps on saying, he's like, no, there's not going to be hyperinflation. There's not going to be a collapse because... You know, the U.S. has never defaulted on its currency. He goes, Europe's defaulted on its currency before, so they're kind of anticipating it. But the U.S. has never collapsed on its currency, even though I thought that they had um, hyperinflation twice in its history. So I'm trying to get to that point where when does this thing actually happen? What is the catalyst for it happening? Um, when when does loss, when does this thing likely emerge? Well, you can say the U.S. has never defaulted on its currency, but its currency is worth about two cents compared to a dollar in 1913. So, nope, hasn't 100% collapsed yet, but it's 98% collapsed. <laughs> and since, you know, the uh, depreciation since 1971, I think, has been in the 80 85% range. I'm not exactly sure of my numbers there, but uh, I'm guessing, but I think I'm pretty close. Um, what do you call that? What what do you call the uh, okay? We haven't had a hundred percent inflation yet, but we've had at least two to five percent inflation for the last fifty years. Um, it gets to the same place. It's it's uh, the old uh, Hemingway thing. How did you go bankrupt uh, slowly first and then very quickly? So. Um, you know, uh, is that what happens? Do things eventually accelerate? Because again, this is something that comes back to look at Peter. I mean, I, I look at Peter Jeff and says, "Well, there's too much money being out there." And then, if it, then I think Gerald Salente was like, well, "Okay, well, if they raise interest rates, then the house of cards collapses." But then Martin is saying, "Well, no, it's not going to collapse because the economies only collapse when, when they cease to be productive." And he says, "The U.S. is still being productive." And I'm kind of like, I'm trying to figure it out. I don't understand like what is the catalyst for this thing to happen and how much energy would it actually take to be exerted in order for this final collapse to occur, if it were to occur? Yeah, what was the catalyst for the USSR to collapse? Uh, you know, nobody, nobody saw that coming. Our intelligence, nobody saw that coming. And it happened. Why? Because communist government uh, can't produce. And the incentive structures they put in place don't produce. It's the same now. Inflation is is a huge disincentive to produce when you can't count on the medium of exchange. Um, What's the catalyst going to be? I don't know. I just know you can't keep doing what you're doing uh, without uh, this sort of thing happening. Well, I I always wonder what the win is because we've seen Zimbabwe – have hyperinflation, and I, I guess they went to U.S. dollars because that was a world's reserve currency. And I wonder if Russia had been had had the world's reserve currency, they still would have collapsed in the same possible way. That's why I always wonder if this is going to be if this is going to happen in the U.S. But you know, reading your articles, I love that you are such a astute student of history, and you're always pointing specific examples to show what's going to happen in, in the future. And you pointed out, I think, one of your first articles that based on historical contexts, it seems that you don't remember who the rulers are, especially in 1440. You remember what the innovations are, what humanity did to innovate, but we don't remember the, the, the tyrants. So that being said, what would some of those historical references that you've included in your articles tell us about what we can expect to happen in the foreseeable future? Um, I'll ask a question. Sure. Name a government that's lasted 
None. Not one. None. They all falter. And they all do basically for the same reason. Um, their uh, larcenist uh, impulses grow and grow. They command, commandeer a larger and larger share of the underlying production that uh, their people are doing until the people quit producing. Uh, the rulers have, uh, you know, engaged in empire building. They've engaged in foreign invasions. They've engaged in all that sort of thing, uh, none of which makes any money. I mean, um, you know, uh, I would say throughout history, the number one reason governments collapse is bankruptcy. And there are when that happens, I mean, is that a total loss of faith? I mean, do governments ultimately collapse? What if they governments oversee a population that's still being relatively productive? If you have a nation that is able to produce, make things, become self-sufficient, does that have any attributes to it? Or is it mainly a government will collapse based on if they're outsourcing everything and they're too reliant or too independent on other nations? Well, I mean, a government that a, a government that allows its people to produce and to keep what they produce and in turn exchange what they produce in a medium of exchange that everybody trusts is not going to have a whole lot of problems. No matter how much they import or export, uh, uh, they have productive people and they're allowing productive people to uh, produce. Um, but you know, historically, that isn't what governments do. They get bigger, they get more powerful, they commandeer more resources uh, until the whole house of cards collapses in on itself. I mean, that historically is, is, has been what happened. You get these brief, very productive, very fruitful periods in history, like the Industrial Revolution, uh, where people can go out and... and uh, you know, governments don't determine any of this. It's innovators who do. I said in my piece, uh, governments aren't the linchpin of uh, history. Innovators are. And you allow people the freedom to innovate, innovate and build and produce, and uh, you get good things. But governments being made of the kind of people they are, unproductive, uh, envious, power-seeking type of people, uh, often don't let that to ha uh, allow that to happen. Yeah, especially with the taxes. Your taxes go up as you're making more money, as you're being production. It's, it's really insane. And I don't know, Robert, I'll tell you personally, I love to work. I have a company and I love working. I just, I, I love it. I love you know being productive and doing things, but there's a sizable portion of the population that doesn't. They'd love to, to sit down, watch Netflix, uh, you know, do all kinds of stuff, being political advocacy, change. I mean, I, the, the, we have a really weird uh, young generation in America. I, I don't know what's going on, but they just seem very strange. And I wonder what is what is going to happen to them when we see this massive shift. I, you know, are these people are they going to be like lost in the in the wild? Are, are they just going to be like basically um, the final ounce of fuel? for a last grasp of resurgence to totalitarianism because if they don't have any skills and their whole perspective of the world has been completely shattered, I imagine that's not going to be a good group of people, uh, mentally sound people you want to be around. So I'm just curious, what are, you, what are your predictions about that? Well, I think it's really hard to just generalize about uh, a, gener a generation like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of uh, lazy younger people because 
uh, you know, A, who raised these people, B, who set up the political system that allows them not to work, uh, you know, who taught them the morals and everything else. Well, that's their parents, basically. And, you know, uh, their parents have come down the line and, and have propagated those kind of ideas. We see it, you know, school systems are rife with it. So, yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of pain. There's going to be a lot of people who I do not think uh, uh, will do well, will survive in what's coming. They have never faced adversity. They don't know how to work. They have no appreciation for, you know, the basics of morality, the basics of commercial morality, keeping contracts, work ethic, that sort of stuff. Um, they're going to be in trouble. Uh, you know, I know enough. Uh, I know enough younger people who are not like that, who, uh, you know, um, make you say, well, there's hope for uh, the future yet. Uh, but a lot of, but, there's a lot of older folks. There's a lot of middle-aged folks who, you know, basically propagated all this sort of nonsense uh, to the young and, and who believe it themselves. Who believe that they're owed some sort of, uh, you know, uh, existence from the government and they're going to be in bad shape too. It's, it's crazy. Some of these things that people take as common sense. I mean, I always thought the world was weird. What when, COVID hit and all these people started acting really strange. That's when I was like, I felt completely at ease with every all these other perspectives. And it just seems like a majority of the people are on board with this thing. And they don't realize that, that, like, why would you not want to pick up a history book and look at some of these things? But um, in your article, your last chance, part two, this is one of your quotes. To those who rule and who are trying to implement their global consolation, this is your last chance to save your own skins. And you, I'll skip a little bit. Your collapse will focus your victim's attention on their ruination and your responsibility for it. You'll be lucky to escape their retribution. Now, when you say that, I thought it was very powerful. And I first thing that came to mind is when these things happen, do the people who've been completely brainwashed, most people even who are completely in that cult, do they even have the capability of recognizing who's responsible for the ruination? Are they just going to look at the politicians and say, ha ha, you're responsible for it? Or are they going to be able to recognize, well, maybe it's not just the politicians. Maybe it's all the people who've been paying off these politicians for all these years. How, how do you think they're going to truly identify who the people are responsible for this great uh, pain that they're suffering from? Well, you start from the government and work out. I mean, there is such a kind of myth, uh, mystical faith in government right now. Government can provide, government can cure COVID, government can do this, government can do that. Um, a lot of people don't buy it right now. I mean, you know, we see this tremendous upswelling of dissatisfaction uh and i think uh right now probably the most honest institution in american life is probably the alternative media that's not to say every alternative media outlet is is always right truthful or whatever but it's a heck of a lot more trustworthy than either the government the mainstream media academia hollywood any of this other stuff um, 
I, I mean, right now, you can find millions of people who will say, you know, yes, it's the government that is responsible for most of the problems we're having. It's, it, you know, uh, I mean, come on, these guys spend 40% of the GDP. They run every aspect of our lives. They regulate everything. They've uh, systematically ruined uh, any number of, in, of industries, including education and the healthcare system. Um, it's not hard if you are uh, if you're determined to look for it to figure out you know where the problems come from. So you know when the ruination comes, when uh, people's retirement savings are decimated, uh, when people are going to the grocery store every day because the prices are going up every day, and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who still say, well, I, you know, it's the fault of big business, it's the fault of this, it's the fault of that, and, and they're going to, you know, they're not going to say the government, but I mean, um, these people are, in essence, kind of sealing their own fate. If you if you're not really looking at what's happening, if you're making up all this stuff, if you're living in this kind of la la land, um reality tends to take care of those kind of people that wipes them out uh, i guess in one way i guess a little empathy but i you know it's like hey it's, it's how nature is you know all these people are saying that they're absolutely terrified of covid they're like oh i'm so scared and they're wearing triple masks and they're freaking out and i think that the one thing they're probably more afraid of is freedom i never realized it until recently well for at least past year but I want. I don't think. I don't know if people are are capable of handling freedom. Ha- capable of handling personal responsibility. I don't understand why they would constantly uh, offer it to someone else. Like I, it just seems so weird. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, from all the people that you've seen, from all the years that you lived and experience that you've had in the private sector, do you think that there is a general trend that is going away from freedom, collectively speaking? Or do you kind of see that there is a maybe more of a trend where people are embracing personal freedom, but on a smaller scale with more passion? Uh, yes, I would say both. There's a large number of people <clears throat> who are scared to death of freedom, who want to be told what to do, who want to be provided for, who don't want to take responsibility for their life. Yeah, a lot of people like that. On the other hand, you know, I know a heck of a lot of people who uh, want nothing more out of government than freedom, who would love to live their lives without the regulation, the taxes, the uh, the government overreach, the eh, the tyranny when you get right down to it. I mean, if you look at our present government, uh, they get away with things that governments throughout history have never been able to do. Uh, you know, starting with taxes and uh, central banking and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, uh, it cuts both ways. There are, I I know, uh, and I know my website uh, seems to uh, attract a fair amount of uh, people whose, uh, you know, uh, overriding desire in life is freedom, to live free, to live, uh, to live their own lives the way they see fit. Um, and those are the people, basic, you know, that uh, I I aim my website toward. I'm not real concerned about the other type. Uh, the only thing that concerns me is, uh, you know, if somebody came up to you on the street and said you have to provide for me, 
uh, you'd at best walk away and uh, your action may be a lot more heated. Uh, why it becomes okay when the government's doing the, uh, is picking your pocket and giving it to somebody else is, uh, uh, is a matter of principle uh, that nobody's ever been able to explain to me. I don't understand it. I understand. We've had Larkin Rose on our show a few times, and Larkin always, his, one of his quotes in his books, his book says, the most dangerous superstition is the belief in authority. And he was pretty hopeful the last time we talked to him. He said that on a global scale, the belief in authority is declining worldwide because of all these things that are happening right now. It's like the, 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 nothing's going out there that's actually encouraging people or converting people on a daily basis to have more faith in somebody ruling over them. And he says that this is part of a long-term thing. If you look at where we are, it's like this is actually a major acceleration in the direction of freedom. When you tell people that, it's kind of like they scratch their heads. Like, really? Like, it seems like they're getting a lot more control. Because I don't understand how anyone in Australia or New Zealand or France or Germany can look and say, wow, this is fantastic. Like, they went exactly back, right back to where they were, like, years ago. It's just, it's really strange. And based on what you see in the U.S., Knowing how Americans fundamentally are, do you think that there's still a lot of uh, and the heart and soul in the people to once again have a free country? Or do you, hypothetically speaking, do you think that we're probably going to have maybe not total freedom like we once did in all the states, but we're going to maybe break up in four different uh, parts and have freedom in certain sections in certain states? And certain states are basically going to be like their own countries. I mean, if you look at Florida and, and Texas. It seems that they're they're doing much better than places like New York, where you. I remember, I think I started talking about secession twenty years ago. I said, you know, this makes no sense. Why are we slaves to this capital in Washington D.C.? Why do we send them so much money? Why do we give them so much authority? But sooner or later, somebody's going to say no. Rather be much part of something much smaller but much freer. Uh, you know, an acre of freedom's worth a continent of uh, tyranny sort of thing. And you couldn't talk, you couldn't use the word secession uh, without somebody saying, oh, civil war, you're racist, blah, 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 southerner. And I'm not a southerner. I grew up in New Mexico, went to school in California. Um, And I'm back in New Mexico. Now I have seen so many articles just over the past two years when the COVID thing really got going, people started saying, you know, why do we all have to do these things? Why cannot, why can't we make our, our own choices as far as masking and locking down and so on and so forth? Um, You know, let California's and the New York's and, uh, you know, those sort of states go their own way. Why Why can't our state uh, be free? Uh, and succession, secession is something now, you know, people print articles about it. Uh, what a great idea. We've got this great political divide. Why don't we cut the country in half or force or fists or whatever? But uh, uh, so I think that'll be the way it's going, because I think uh you know, one idea that uh, I put in those uh, articles is I, I think we're at peak government. I think we're at peak centralization. And I think uh, there's all sorts of centrifugal forces in terms of technology, in terms of economics, everything else, uh, 
that are exerting enormous pressure against the centralization and whatnot. Um, you know, uh, and it may be a kind of a peaceful thing, uh, you know, an amicable divorce type thing, or it may be something uh, much bloodier. I I have to say I would probably hedge that it's going to be on the latter because these people, they just want control. I talked about in the last show, I had a, had a confrontation with somebody in a grocery store, one of these nuts, and they were just confronting my son because we weren't wearing the mask. And they, they, they're crazy. They just, they, all, they, all they want to do is control you. And I don't think you can have two people like that. I don't think you can have a coexistence of people if one wants to control and dominate the other. And if you say no, they're not going to go down without a fight. Even if they're cowards, I mean, they'll ask the government to do the lifting for you. So, I mean, say, for example, we were going to have secession. Is there any, um, can you give a, like a situation, a hypothetical situation from what you would see as a peaceful one and one where it would actually be violent? Like, how would you see, like, maybe just both those play out, hypothetically speaking? Well, uh, predicting as I am some sort of uh, huge financial crash or whatnot that leaves governments. Uh, without resources, essentially. I think uh, the first violence you're going to see is, is is people who wake up one morning who have counted on the government all their life, and, and all of a sudden the money isn't there. And that includes employees, that includes contractors, that includes uh, recipients of uh, you know social welfare spending, uh, recipients of military welfare spending, so on and so forth. And the resources just aren't there. And something that they've counted on has shattered. And, uh, you know, it's hard to imagine at least some of those people not engaging in violence, not out there uh, rioting, uh, stealing, looting, what have you. I mean, we've already seen that, you know, in the last couple of years. Uh, And we're seeing it in in places... uh, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, uh, you know, theft is becoming a way of life. Well, theft is violence. Uh, at some point, the people who are getting stolen from start responding in kind. And then and then you have, uh, you know, recognizable violence. Um, and as things deteriorate, uh, it gets worse. I could, you know, you can see a situation where the government can't pay say, the military and the police in anything that's a recognizable uh, form of value. I mean, they can give them pieces of paper, but that's it. So these guys start freelancing. You, you know, you, you get uh, your Mad Max uh, chaos type of situations. I can see it devolving into that. I can also see at some point in the road uh, people of like mind saying enough is enough. Uh, let's set up an enclave. Let's Let's go to a state where we can live, uh, you know, a more free existence. Let's defend it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I, I can see that happening, too. And they, there may be well be violence between uh, between the first group and the second group. That being said, are there any particular states in the U.S. that you would recommend people go to or relocate if they have some time left? Is there any places where you think are, are better than others? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, Oklahoma, Texas, 
Nebraska, uh, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, parts of Georgia, parts of North Carolina, uh, Alabama, Florida, uh, you know, yeah, your basic uh, red states. I mean, I think you're going to be a lot better off than you are in, uh, in the blue states. And I'm in a blue state, and uh, I'm only here because my mother is here. And, uh, you know, uh, somewhere down the road, I'm, I'm definitely migrating. And, and you're seeing this migration going on uh, right now. Uh, you know, uh, my wife's a realtor here in New Mexico and we're getting so many people coming in from California and I talked to people down in Texas, same deal. Um, people are leaving the blue States because they're, they're unlivable. I lived in uh, Los Angeles for 25 years and got out in 2012 and, uh, you're just going to continue to see, uh, that, and that's going to solidify the division in the country. The people that are going to be left in places like California, uh, I, I mean, when the financial uh, when the financial collapse comes, uh, you are going. I mean, I, I lived through the Rodney King riots in uh, Los Angeles. I see what the capability is, and now uh, a lot of the people that would be rioting have cell phones. They can coordinate. They can text message. I mean, we see those in the flash riots all over the country. It's incredible, isn't uh, it? They all walking with hammers, yeah. and it's. I just think it's so amazing that it actually happens. Um, Robert, our final question for you is, say, for example, our beloved listeners were sitting next to you and they get a chance to get some one-on-one questions. They get a chance to get some one-on-one time with you. And you've got about two minutes to tell them advice on what they can do to weather this storm, how they can maintain their freedom, how they can maintain their sanity, how they can be prepared. What advice would you give them? Um, I would say, first off, learn some basic skills, um, even unless you're in just like an apartment or whatnot. But if if you're in a suburb or whatnot, uh, learn how to grow some food, learn something about mechanics, learn something about electricity, learn something about medicine, uh, stockpile, uh, some things I, you know, um, I, I don't consider myself a prepper, but I do consider it, uh, you know, especially when I go to the stores these days and I see all these empty shelves, I consider it just prudent to have, you know, maybe a few weeks worth of food or whatnot. I think it's a good idea to own some physical gold, some physical uh, silver, but not too much because, uh, you know, there's problems with that. If things really go to hell, uh, you're kind of, putting a big red X on your back if you're out there flashing that sort of stuff. So you have to be extremely careful. Um, I would say build up your network of trusted friends so you can, people can help each other out. Um, I would say also uh, probably not a bad idea if you don't already learn, uh, buy some firearms and learn how to use them. I mean, real, real simple stuff, but I, I, I think the, the the overarching theme of what I'm saying is the more you can do for yourself, the better off you're going to be. Mr. Robert Gore, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, a little more about Robert. Well, thank you. Oh, and Robert, you can learn more about him by going to his website at straightlinelogic.com. Also, please check out zerohedge.com. 
LewRockwell.com, and you can read his articles. And if you go back and you look at some of Robert's articles back in 2020, you'll see about a lot of your predictions have come true. So I have to say, sir, I really admire your critical thinking skills, and I appreciate the fact that you're able to tie all these different things together and present such detailed and such empowering articles. And I have to tell you, it's very hard to find hope these days, especially when you see all this stuff that's going on. But your last two articles about uh, this is your last chance, part one and part two, dynamite. Really enjoyed them. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and on your uh, show, and uh, it's been a real pleasure. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace love, and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening.